0: Pope John Paul II hated communism. Why? Because he was brutally oppressed by it. So it, it depends on people's experience. And he can read, apparently. I mean. He
1: hated communism because it is the smoke of Satan. <laughs> because it is diabolic. Uh, you, I'm going off. Oh, Are,
0: are people. Okay. And he can read. And you're trying
1: to wrap this up and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, that's my well, I, I don't want to be
0: accused of being a communist because I am not a communist. I'm a very, I'm a red blooded American boy, just like, you know, the rest of us. Hmm. everyone, welcome back to The Loopcast, Catholic Votes' weekly rundown on all things faith, culture, and politics. Today, it's me, Tom Pogasic, staff writer, Eric Ahern, and editor-in-chief of The Loop, Josh Mercer. So, diving right into this week, bombshell news, not really easy for anyone to hear, tough situation. Uh, Formerly, Father Frank Pavone has officially been laicized by the Vatican as of December 17th. He is no longer a priest. This is tough news for a lot of people to hear as he was uh, a, really a champion on pro life issues, founded Priest for Life, very outspoken uh, in defense of life. And unfortunately, it's really come down to a tough situation between church authority. It's come down to church authority, as I guess the best way we can put it. Uh, why do you think that so many people are rocked by this news and, and feel very personally about it?
1: I'll jump in. <laughs>
0: Not (laughs) fun to talk about. I wish I didn't have to be talking about it, but yeah. I
1: think the silence is indicative of the um, discomfort that this brings. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think for me growing up in the, you know, I was in high school in the 90s and then uh, college in the early 2000s, I was involved in the pro-life movement. And he was one of the, if not the figurehead, um, the most outspoken uh, member of the Catholic clergy. Um, You know, you could also talk about, Father Newhouse at first things at the time, but totally different feel in terms of activism um, and getting out there and challenging the status quo on how the church was talking about the pro-life movement. uh, Father Pavone was um, a a real leader and uh, the founding of Priests for Life, really inspirational. A lot of people were very excited about the possibilities of of getting more priestly support for the pro-life movement. Um, He founded, you know, he was really involved with Rachel's Vineyard, so a post abortive ministry that has served thousands and thousands of women through the years. Um, So just personally, those early years of formation for me, he was, he was very important and very visible um, in the Catholic world. And then I think, you know, the last few years, starting with um, his attempt to found a religious order that just sort of fizzled. Uh, he, you know, for a couple of years, he's going to found this order, raised a bunch of money, and then crickets. Nothing really happened. It, he disbanded it, um, and then of course the the sort of MAGA Trump associations during the twenty sixteen campaign and beyond. Uh, a little bit of confusion there, but but he was still, I don't know, just seen as someone who had the. He he wanted to save. He wants to save unborn babies. He's, I speak of him in the past tense, but he's <laughs> that's not right. Um, so yeah, I yeah that's sort of my experience.
2: I just I feel like it came a little bit out of the blue. I Man, we know we've he's had some mm. dust ups with Cardinal Legan and uh, the bishop in Amarillo, Texas, because he got uh, he got permission to to be incarnated because he w- started out as a diocesan priest in uh, in New York City, and he got you know. W- He got, as you say, he started, that was with the blessing of Cardinal O'Connor. And then when Cardinal Egan succeeds O'Connor, after a while, he wanted to just move him to parish ministry. And that was the thing that kind of really started a, uh, you know, I I would say like a 20-year minor at first rift, I guess. Because he really felt like uh, he had a calling, in a sense, more, more than just an assignment. And he felt like he shouldn't just go back to parish work. He should continue trying to save babies' lives, and that's very admirable, you know. Um, Eric Sammons wrote a really good article in Crisis about it, saying, you know, you could feel that strong calling, uh, greater than anything else—not just this parish or campus ministry or hospital stuff. It's a, it's, it's a deep passion, and but ultimately, as a priest, your your first strongest. Uh, obligation is to the, the church and to your bishop specifically. What Father Pavone did is he he got uh, permission to get moved to a different diocese. So he became a diocesan priest in Amarillo, Texas. And that worked for a few years. Then they got a new bishop and he was kind of itching about this. And, and so it just kind of set up a long history. Now, who knows, you know, like maybe if he had made a decision to abide by Cardinal Egan's wishes from the get-go, Maybe God would have rewarded his faithfulness like he did with Padre Pio. And maybe, you know, he had done that for a few years and come back stronger, better. Who, you know, who knows? I don't know. Um, ultimately, though, I think the big shock here for a lot of Catholics is that it didn't start out with like a strike. Mm-hmm. So in other words, why didn't the Vatican say you're no, you, the Vatican could have decided, for example, to tell Father Frank Pavone, you can, you, you can no longer celebrate masses publicly online or in person you are to only do a mass for you know private mass for like yourself or maybe an immediate family member not even employees of priest for life literally just a private mass and that would have been like a shot across the bow that could have Mm. hopefully you know let him know we're serious and we want to see a change and whatever that change might be but it just felt like they went right nuclear you know by just saying you're no longer a priest which that's not reversible until you have, basically have a future pope, because we have to assume this was done with the permission. That's what some kind of lawyers get at. Like, it's really only the pope.
0: Right. It's the, no, no, no. So just make it very clear. It's, it's he was laicized without the opportunity for appeal, which yeah. is not. The letter says that. No right. possibility of appeal. Canonically, that's not correct.
2: Well, unless, of course, basically, I mean, because the pope is the only one who can do that, and the pope himself didn't sign it, but maybe he, the pope approved a letter. And that this letter was just informing him that that had happened. I don't know. I I can't speak from yeah. that specific thing, but I guess my point would be a lot of faithful Catholics who look at the church and feel like the church just hasn't stepped up to the plate enough on the issue of life and marriage. For example, I mean, like we have a president who calls himself a devout Catholic, and he made the entire twenty twenty two election campaign about mm-hmm. abortion, and after that. He signs into law a law that's just you know the disrespect for marriage act, which pretends you know marriage is just any arrangement between two people. And you think to yourself, what would President Biden, so-called devout Catholic, have to do to to get booted out of this church? Right? What would he, what would it take? Like you know, would he have to actually have? A, a pornographic movie filmed in the White House? Would the bishops kick him yeah. out for that? Like, what would it take? What would he do? Would he have to, like, talk about how bad recycling is? Because that would probably be the cardinal sin <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's like, what <laughs> no would it take? Intended. And so, and, and you look, and the thing is, you look at, so that's, I think mm. Eric Sam has brought this point up well in the article, is that there's a lot of conservative Catholics who are like, James Martin, this Jesuit priest, who's the chaplain for Stephen Colbert, and he gets on major network's, and all you know the media outlets new york times whatever and he's got a massive audience and a big megaphone and he batters the church all the time and 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 attacks bishops he keeps getting on going on and doing this completely unfaithful to church teaching and not only is he not disciplined but this vatican with this pope has given him a green light and elevated mm-hmm. his platform and so james martin Gets away scot free, and Frank Pavone gets uh, removed from the priesthood. And so I think Eric Salmon's article makes a good point of what, yes, we should totally, I mean, it's unjust that James Martin isn't booted out, but Father Frank Pavone has, still has an obligation. Not, he's very faithful to church teachings, yes, but he has to also have be faithful to his vows. Right. Of and the I think priesthood. to. So, I, I think to kind you of, of
1: press lean into that a little more, I, what the way that Sammons articulated it in the article was really good. That the sort of the gut wrench of this news is it just exposes what Salmon's, um articulated as the lawlessness in the church. That it just exposes that we don't have a rule of law per se, but that the applications of the law of the church, which includes laicization for priests for certain as a certain matter of punishment, which includes the church's teachings and morals, that the application of that seems so arbitrary and so dependent on ind- on individual bishops and their ideologies and political that it the injustice of it can cloud our minds and 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 help cause us to lose sight of the fact that Christ gave authority to the bishops. To do things like this mm-hmm. and whether or not that authority is weaponized and abused or used justly as it has also been in the past, like in the case of McCarrick, who is the last American priest to be laicized for, for horrible crimes. Right. Um, we we as Catholics have to be for the church and for that authority. Mm-hmm. And as hard as it is to swallow that pill, um, you know, even a priest who's called to In addition to his vocation of the priesthood this ministry that's absolutely necessary to this pro-life ministry serving women saving unborn lives um he too has to submit to that and that's where i think i really get bothered people are like comparing him to padre pio or to these other saints who were called out by the bear even to like joan of arc because she was condemned by a panel of clergy and a bishop their reaction to that historically Don't go canonizing anyone till they're dead. That's my other motto here. But but (laughs) Padre Pio's reaction, like you said, Josh, was to accept the censure of the bishops to go and to he he was forbidden from uh, hearing confessions. He was forbidden from saying mass publicly, and he accepted that in spite of the apparent injustice of it because he he accepted the authority that Christ gave to that fallen man who was over him.
0: I don't know. I feel bad talking about this because. I know that there's people that feel very much like if you criticize one of your own, quote unquote. So, like, mm-hmm. I'm pro life. Father, you know, Frank Pavone was a pro life uh, influencer, early influencer of the movement. And so, if I were to say, well, he had some flaws, I'm basically implying, like, okay, every time, you know, something like this You're happens, eating I'm own. eating yeah. my own.
2: Which is just another problem of scandal, which is just another reason why it's frustrating that you have such an uneven, approach in the Catholic church today where, you know, if a traditionalist or a conservative does something wrong, you basically get the equivalent of the death penalty thrown at you. And when someone on the other side, you know, that's what, that's what frustrates me. It's like, it, it you know, the church ha- doesn't have any appreciation for, you know, like, okay, there, there'll be some people to our left and some people to our right. And let's try to, you know, all this talk, a few years ago, the bishops were talking about how to make, you know things more civilized and have more civility in our public life and our politics hey you know what let's start let's start right here at home let's start with our church if you're going to do this if you really felt like this was the truly the, the necessary thing to do to to lay aside Frank Pavone like how would you go about it to try to minimize the scandal and the damage that would cause you know that's again I, if there was a a love and a respect for the other side and i keep as I was talking with this with a lot of my friends, and by the way, this hurts me. I mean, I'm not as close to Father uh, Frank Pavone as others, but I, he's a friend of mine. I do know him uh, through, you uh, know, I've met him several times. Can't say anything uh, more about him. He's just a really great person. I really like him a lot. And um, he's done, as you say, great things for the movement. I just feel like the Mother Church, if you if you want greater love and from fidelity from your children, you have to treat us a lot more uh, with a lot more dignity and a lot more respect. And if something like this action needs to take uh, this, this kind of action is necessary, be a good shepherd and, and, and help people understand like, here's what we have to do. And here's why this is so regrettable, but it has to happen instead of just, you know, treating conservatives or traditionalists like we're a pariah. Now the thing with father Frank, I mean like the mission of priest for life is so important. I mean, I was 35 years old, 35 years old before I finally heard on a Sunday mass, a priest say anything about abortion. It took 35 years. And it took 45 years this year for me to hear a priest, you know, condemn pornography in a Sunday mass. Now, if I go to a conference, they don't hold back. And I think that's the thing that you hear all this stuff and there's a hunger amongst a lot of Catholics like we need our priest to to deal with these difficult issues and to stand up for what the church teaches because there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of pain abortion pornography all these things are causing great discomfort and pain in our church these sins we have to do something about it and
1: right when the the target is someone like Frank Pavone and like you said there there's it was kind of out of left field it felt like it anyway, and obviously we don't really have inside information. Maybe he's, maybe they've been talking to him for a year. Maybe they've been on the phone with him, and he's been belligerent. We don't know. Like we, we don't know what the inner workings were. But again, like you said, Josh, to to understand the messaging that it's sending. You know, I was I was talking to our our dear friend Peter Wolfgang yesterday, and uh, he took me off the reservation a little bit, uh, <laughs> talking about this this event in the church's life, and um, just just reminding me. Uh, that while, you know, our dear Pope Francis has said a lot of things, it's very clear he's against abortion. Um, it's also been a pontificate that seems to be against the pro-life movement, if that makes sense, right? To make that distinction. Oh, it makes sense. And All he, right. Yeah. And he brought, he brought me back in 2017. There was an article in La uh, Civiltà Cattolica. I'm going to slaughter my Latin there by um, Father Spadaro. Oh, and this was seen as – this article was seen as sort of um, – the, the whole – it's a Jesuit magazine out of Rome, and it was sort of seen as the unofficial mouthpiece of Pope Francis. And at the time, um, Father Spadaro, he he writes this long article uh, targeting um, conservative, quote-unquote, movements in the United States. And he talks about, you know, in God we trust, America. He brings up Trump. He brings up um, George W. Bush. And he brings up the pro-life movement and how Catholics and evangelicals have been working together in America. And he calls it, quote, an ecumenism of hate, like that was the that was the word. Spadaro yeah, I remember sa- this. Yeah, remember it's this. the ecumenism of hate. And this article has been spoken of since then approvingly by Pope Francis as an example of the Church's thinking of the Holy Father's thinking. And right, so I got this
2: scrap on over this with him and Pagli. I was going on to, yeah. to town on these guys on Twitter, and it's like it's a bunch of crap.
1: Right, and so if you're going to talk about these people like you're beating up your children who are trying yeah. to save lives. And you're you have this this rhetoric coming out of the Vatican through the pope's mouthpiece saying you're involved. This pro-life movement is an ecumenism of hate. You hear that for years and years. It's no wonder that like the leaders are like Provone's going to go a little nuts, right? Like have a little mercy on the guy. And yeah, he should obey his bishop. I can o- I can't repeat okay, that answer. Okay, but- so
2: this is the thing that I love this. Okay, so mercy. This is what drives me a little bit crazy because first of all, I think in many ways, in the it, the Catholic Church is it, in the last 30, 40 years has been so huge on mercy, divine mercy, and all this kind of stuff. And then this pope comes in and he's like Mer- mercy, mercy, mercy. And yet, what what do you do with someone like a Pavone? You throw the book at him. Like it drives me up the wall. It's like mercy for everyone except conservatives or traditionalists. Like what he did on the Latin Mass. I'm not, I don't even go to Latin Mass, okay? Yeah. But he threw the book at Latin Masters. It's like they're no, rigid, no mercy at they're, all. Yeah. It drives me crazy.
1: Meanwhile, you have a pedophile in Argentina. You have Paglia, the Cardinal Paglia scandal, which just came out the same week. You have the Father Repnick scandal, yeah. who's another Jesuit, the artist guy, who's having, you know, threesomes with nuns. Right. And the, And there's, where's the hammer? And the justice there, if it really does come back to only the Pope can lay aside without appeal, then he could do a lot more, right? If he's going to use this tool.
2: Again, I think the best look at the situation in the church for Catholics in the United States is by Ross Duthit. And he made this point a couple of years ago where he said there is a little bit of a problem amongst Orthodox Catholics in the United States where we have a little bit of this, you know, the... Older brother.
1: The older there's, brother there's, syndrome, yeah.
2: It's the older brother in the prodigal son story, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, what the heck? This guy was a total loser. He's pouring it up and he's spending all his money. Now he's just like, a, he, he smells like the swine he's been rolling around with. I mean, it's like, this is terrible, you know? Like, why are we celebrating this guy? Why are we giving, why are we slaughtering the, the, the big calf? This is crazy. And the dad's like, dude, everything I have is yours. Like, mm-hmm. don't you know that? Like, everything here is yours. Like, we should celebrate the fact that this guy's coming home. And so that, so like, Jesus does this as a way to tell the people who are very faithful and have been very faithful, you know, the riches of eternity are going to be yours. You will be with me in paradise. You will have all this. This is your inheritance. Don't worry about it. So it's good for us as Orthodox Catholics to realize that. But what if instead the father said to the older son, you're rigid, inflexible, terrible, horrible, ugly. I hate you. That's kind of what I feel like Pope does. The Pope does. So, I mean, what kind of response do you expect?
1: Yeah, the other point too that I would make is that among conservative Catholics, when I like, I'm going to fuss. I'm fussing on the podcast. I'm complaining. Yeah, I'll probably have to go to confession again. Thank you, God, for the sacrament. But with the conservative Catholics, with with the faithful Orthodox who are just trying to live the faith, and they see this, and they're like, "What's going on? Why are they?" Blah, blah? When they come back at us and they say, you should be obedient to the authority of the bishops, we're going to say yes. We say, you are right. I submit to the authority of the church, even if I don't understand how it's being used, right?
2: Even if the Pope hates me.
1: But but if they go and they lay aside Father James Martin... And then they go to the left, and they're like, "Hey guys, you just need to submit to authority." What's going to happen? What do you think those podcasts over at America Schmerker Magazine are going to come out with? Right? Yeah. They're not going to be like, "You're right. We should accept the authority of John Paul II right. of Benedict XVI." It's not the same, and they know that, and they take advantage of it.
0: If if I could challenge us to wrap this conversation in a bow, when someone gets asked about the Pavone situation, how what is the best possible way to explain to someone? How we feel about it and what's the resolution?
1: Yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Someone asked uh, Ed Condon and JD Flynn over at The Pillar last week, "How do you stay faithful to the church when you're covering the worst?" And this, this it's so discouraging. So I was thinking a lot about that because we do the same thing. And I think, of course, the answer is prayer and to look to the Blessed Mother and Christ. And to remind ourselves where where our fidelity is. Sure. And that's it, it sounds so empty, but well, I mean, you I have guess, to go there I, first. So now Josh will take you to the next level. <laughs> I'm going to pass that baton.
2: Uh, you know, in general, I think Catholics in the United States should try to be joyful warriors when mm-hmm. it comes to most of the difficulties that are in life. Like, there's a lot of challenges coming at us. We can't get... You know, I think it's too easy to go to anger first and and, and well in that all day long. I think that's not good. Uh, I also think, though, you know, there's an article written by Captain Lopez for our Sunday visitor, which basically said, hey, it's not a pro-life thing. Don't, you know, it's just it's a discipline thing and examine it that way and look at it that way. And I'm like, you're not. No, I'm sorry. I can't. I am going to get angry. There are there are times where you can be angry and say, hey, by the way, I will remain faithful to this church and will remain faithful to Jesus, but this is crap. I'm not going <laughs> to sugarcoat this. Yeah. Yeah. This is crap. The way you're treating your children is crap. Like, it's not just that, I mean, obviously with the church, we had a massive scandal, you know, with the sex scandal stuff going. And it's like, if anything, you would hope that, that the bishops of this country would be like, you know what? <sighs> This is a tough case. We have to do this. Can you work with us? Show us a little humility and mm-hmm. you can win us back, you know, uh, you know, on your side. It, it just it frustrates me to no end because like this is the this is the problem with scandal of all types mm-hmm. is that you really start to second guess other things. Like are are people going to not go to church on Sunday because of this? I mean, uh, maybe a few. But is it going to Dampen spirits, yeah, it's bad. So, like, care for your flock, be shepherds. Like, it just drives me crazy. Lead, give leadership, you know, show it. And it was nice to see Strickland at least say, kind of say, express a little frustration and outrage about this because it's like, if not, give at least some, you know, spirit that you're with us, you know, like this stinks no matter what, even if it was. So necessary, let's say. And so to me, I there's a there's a spirit in this church that's an undercurrent of people like, well, you just gotta, you know, don't complain. Yeah. You can't ever complain. Mm. You can't ever be upset about anything. I don't think that helps us at all. Be a little upset. It's stupid. It doesn't speak to the frustration of people. And
0: when you're not acknowledging people's true sentiment, it just gets worse. It just festers. And that's that's why I, I think what's frustrating about this is there's just such a lack of transparency the The letter was was dropped, and he didn't hear about it. Uh, Pavone didn't hear about it until CNA told him, or something like that. And like by his testimony, right? yeah. Why? Yeah. Why are? Why isn't there a direct line of communication with Pavone, and then also people in the U.S. that would be frustrated by this? Like, really, if if you want, it's not
2: like you can't get a hold of the guy.
0: <laughs> right. It's like clearly he, you know about him, but if there was just transparency and a standard, like. Celebrity priests exist. You you can you can say whether it's a bad thing or a good thing. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. more opportunity for scandal because when you have a public, uh, when you're a public figure, you're more scrutinized for sure, and you have more uh, temptations and things like that. But celebrity priests exist. Can we get a, a straight bar on that, please? Like Father James Martin has 300,000 followers on Twitter, and he pushes the most anti-Catholic blasphemous, misleading stuff I've ever seen out of a priest and nothing is done about it. So it, it, it would be like, okay, if your problem is his celebrity status or the fact that he's influential, then all right, let's chop down all of those priests. Like it, it just, the, the it's just pick and choose. And I think mm-hmm. when, it, I think the, the end sentence here is the church authority, there is a lawlessness in church authority. Partially, that's just how it, it was designed and set up. And so it's, it's tough for people to swallow the fact that, hey, it's just going to come down to the authority of a bishop that was appointed by someone who has a political bent. Like Pope Francis just came out and said communism actually in its form, it could be very positive and good. Um, he came from Argentina. That's, that's his background. I mean, it, it's, it's so dependent I don't on – I mean, seriously, that's all he knows though. Like if you were to – Pope John Paul II hated communism. Why? Because he was brutally oppressed by it. So it, it depends on people's experience. and he can read,
2: apparently. I mean
0: he
1: hated communism because it is the smoke of Satan. <laughs> because it is diabolic. Uh, you I'm going
0: off oh are, are people
1: and okay. he can read. Are, you're trying to wrap this up and I'm like, oh yeah. oh, that's my well, toilet. I, I don't phone. want to be
0: accused of being a communist because I am not a communist. I'm a very I'm a red blooded American boy, just like you know, the rest of us. But, Taking potatoes. Uh yeah. <laughs> the fact that we all have to sit here and acknowledge that the the Pope is human. The people he appoints are human, and he's going to appoint people of a certain bend, and then those people of a certain bend have ecclesiastic authority to then enforce on other humans. So there's good news. The church is in good hands. So there's a Wall Street Journal article that uh, was published, and don't worry, it's behind paywall. But we wrote our own newsfeed article about it. You can find it on CatholicVote.org. Uh, This research shows that America's youngest and most recently ordained Catholic priests are much more conservative uh, compared to older priests. And by conservative, uh, more faithful to a traditional liturgy, uh, more faithful to, uh, I would say reverence would probably be a catch-all term uh, of transforming their parishes. And I mean, I go to one, so I see it like kids lining the pews, beautiful big families, packed churches. Uh, much different than when you go to parishes and they have older priests and older populations. It's just, I describe them as green carpet churches. I don't think that anyone on here, that's going to be a huge surprise. Spaceship uh, designs. The, so I'll just quote a little bit of it. The research on Catholic clergy by the Austin Institute has found that younger Catholic priests and priests ordained in more recent years tend to be noticeably more conservative than older priests on a host of issues, including politics, theology, and moral teaching. The survey of American Catholic priests has found that since the 1980s, Successive cohorts of priests have grown more conservative, according to a 2021 summary report. Um, I have my thoughts on this, but why do you think this is? Why are we seeing this reversion of young priests who are on fire?
2: I think I think we have to give a lot of credit to uh, Pope Benedict, who did a lot mm-hmm. to clean up um, seminaries. That was one of his big things. We're only just starting to see the first fruits of those because, you know, it takes— you Know they'll have to graduate and then they become ordained and that they baby priests for a while. But the pipeline is starting to look a lot better precisely because one of the first things he did is he got in there and he cleaned out a lot of the bad hombres that were running some of these seminaries, the
1: pink palaces, and, yes. ugh,
2: yeah. So it's a lot better, um, I think in general. So uh, he was starting to do some of that stuff when he was CDF, but it was had of which is. Under Pope John Paul II's papacy, he was uh, in charge of the Congregation for the Defense of the Faith. He was able to do some of that stuff, but obviously, as pope, he was able to move uh, a lot quicker to reform the seminary. So, I think that's a lot of credit goes to him on that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I was excited. It's a great thing to see, and it it definitely matches um, my my personal experience as well. I liked in our in the Catholic Vote write up how we pointed out um, the Catholic University of America's study on the state of the Catholic priesthood and kind of tied the two together a little bit. Um, and that, that study showed that the clergy are increasingly confident in their vocations. And I think, um, and also at the same time, skeptical of church leadership. And this, you know, redounds upon the, the Frank Pavone issue that we just talked about.
2: Actually, you know what? Well, I was just going to say, I mean, like when it comes to Catholic university of America, that's a good example to show like, Mm -hmm. In general, you have a lot of institutions in the church and in society that just kind of over time, they drift left. okay? And so the requirement has been to start up alternate institutions, you know, like Franciscan University or Christendom that can be kind of, you know, beachheads for like normal Catholicism in a sense, um, because you're losing the Georgetown's, you know, you're losing Holy Cross and Notre Dame is wavering and all that kind of stuff. The Catholic University of America is a school that had consistently been drifting left and left and left. I mean Charles Curran yeah. was from there. And credit to Garvey, he turned it around. He turned the ship around. Now is it perfect from head to toe? No, but it's it yeah. actually is a lot better than it was 20 years ago and a mile, million miles ab- above where it was in the 70s. Sometimes you do see, you know, institutions can change. In general though, this the creating of alternate institutions, and not just simply relying on all oh, my parish and this university and that stuff, the, the impulse for uh, traditional or conservative minded Catholics to say we need to create our own institutions, like Catholic vote, like Christendom, like that, that has, I think helped to spur creativity and a, a reinterest in fidelity. And I think that's another reason why uh, we've seen, you know, these priests come up and well, uh, be more faithful. So
0: I uniquely can speak to this. I'm 24 years old. Uh, I have a couple of friends in seminaries right now. And I also went to uh, the beachhead uh, Ave Maria University. <laughs> and so I have a few thoughts on why this may be. One, traditional conservative Catholics are having way more kids. Let's be honest. Uh, every every friend of mine that is at that I met at Ave Maria came from a huge family, not all of them, but most of them. Uh, so I think just in numbers, that's what's happening. And then those big families, if they're that committed to having a big family, typically they're committed to developing vocations of their kids. So there's just more opportunity for them to be in seminary. I mean, I have a lot of friends who have siblings in seminary. It's amazing. And so i met at Ave Maria and I just think that it's not, I don't know if it ever was, but in my experience now, it is not cool. To be like, there's, you get no extra social status from being a priest outside of the Catholic, outside Mm -hmm. of Catholic communities. Just think back to sex scandal, how frustrated so many people are with church leadership. A lot of people feel like they're walking to the lion's den. So the fact that you feel so strong about your vocation to go become a Catholic priest now, it's, I feel like it's not for any other reason than you strongly are tied to that vocation. The incentives are just not there. And Mm -hmm. so we have all these kids now, uh, all, a lot of my friends that are in seminary, and they all were educated for the most part at these Newman schools. So Ave Maria University, uh, everyone swears an oath to the magisterium. Uh, we received an excellent education in theology. And a lot of people went there with the, the idea that, hey, this is going to be kind of that baby step towards potentially my vocation in religious life. And it's so cool now seeing some of them out at these parishes because it's just, I talk about it all the time. It's the cultural nucleus of of these societies. Huge families are there, packed every Sunday. It's a place you'd actually want to be. Like it, people are taking 30, 40, 50 hour minute, you know, drives to go to these parishes because they they feel that it's it's feeding their family. And so if you could be a priest and, and do that and, and be in those places, and let's all be honest, those places are a conservative bend. Like those places are of a traditional bend. They're either Latin mass parishes or they're old cathedrals. Why would you not? So I think it's now kind of like there's two elements. The bad apples are like there's no longer any incentive to, to become a priest now. And then the, the good apples are like, if I do go through and this is truly my vocation, I'm going to be able to serve these kind of blossoming communities uh, and really have a significant role to play in people's lives. So it's no surprise to me. I don't think it's any surprise to people listening to this podcast. Uh, you were probably would have tuned out when we started talking about Bavone would be my guess. <laughs> so really cool, and I think just a note to um, these these kids. Uh, I, I guess I call it, I don't know if I'm still a kid anymore, but they need your support. Uh, we need to be praying for these young seminarians. You
2: know, and and the thing to think about, Tom, is we are being blessed with so many of these young men who are much more faithful, much more reverent, and I think humble. And you think to yourself, if we could have had this. Army this cadre, like sixty years ago, mm. how much better our church how much better our country, our would, country. Be. Yeah. Right. It would be so much better, but they're not they're not going they're not fighting in eighteen sixty to try to prevent society from going down the rails, you know they're fighting right here and right now, and so we've been wanting strong, courageous priests for a long time to step up to the plate, but it's a lot harder now that the culture has descended so far down that, you know, we still need them to be bold and courageous, but realize that we can't just expect them to become Superman overnight either. And so you're right. We do need to encourage them and pray, and we need to be patient a little bit, I guess. It's been hard because we've been waiting so many decades for some faithful reinforcements. But that's why we try to highlight, you know, with our Catholic accountability project, uh catholics uh who are heroes and we like to put the spotlight on priests and bishops uh universities that do heroic actions and um we we put out videos of priests who who deliver homilies that you know give it to a straight yeah. you know and and that's kind of one of the things about the catholic accountability project isn't just about finding everything that's wrong in the church and 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 screaming and saying this is terrible i think we have to do that watchdog stuff but we also like to spotlight, you know, those priests and bishops who have done really great, heroic things. Because you know what? It does inspire us. And it inspires, you know, other men to take that leap to the priesthood. So,
0: yeah, small. What it, Benedict said smaller, more faithful church, right? And I, I've been getting those vibes quite a bit lately.
2: Right. And I hope it, what that means is that my children and grandchildren will have a larger and more faithful church. That's right. <laughs>
0: Uh, So that moves us on. Uh, So we have, uh, as we were titling it, the omnibus craziness. Okay, I it is unbelievable looking at what they are packing into this omnibus bill. Unbelievable. But before we get into what's included in the bill, what is an omnibus bill? How does it work? And then we can kind of get into some line items that you all should be aware of.
1: Go for it. So
0: what is the omnibus?
1: Oh, there he goes. I mean, so.
0: No, 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 Josh, before you pontificate, we need to know what it is because a lot of people do not know what it is.
2: Wow, I try to get three words in, but Eric is now interrupting me, maybe because I interrupted too many times. That's right, payback. Which is fair. I get it. No, I mean, so normally you have like 11 or 12 appropriations. I mean, under normal circumstances, Congress would pass like 11 or 12 separate appropriations. Which hasn't happened
1: since 1994. I just want to put that out there. But normally before then,
2: Yikes. Right. You know, you you would pass a defense appropriations bill, then you'd pass a, an appropriations bill for health and human services stuff, right? You'd pass an education appropriations bill. Um, and then over time, they just realized that it just, unless you th- basically pile them all together as a big omnibus, like omni all, throw it all in together.
0: Bus, bus. You
2: know, exactly. <laughs> and... So that's been the operating procedure because the, the the thought was if you have individualized votes on each of these things, uh, it's going to e- be easier to spotlight all the problems with it. And, you know, it may not get passed. And so they're like, <laughs> let's just throw it all in. The, all, you know, it's like one nasty, ugly pill is harder to swallow than like death by a thousand paper cuts. But it's not even a thousand. It's like 12. But, but anyway, that's that's your government. This is our government. These are our elected representatives and senators. It's not like we have no. You know, agency here. You know, let your senators and congressmen know. Like, this is a terrible way to govern. We hate this. Don't do this. Pass separate bills so we can kind of give a little bit more examination to what we're doing. Now, sometimes they'll break off the defense bill, but for the most part, all the rest, it's just this big omnibus bill. It's terrible.
0: Right. So they're trying to to jam this humongous bill and try to pack in a lot of pork, uh, a lot of things that mm-hmm. are not good uses of taxpayer dollars. So. Erica, what are some of the ones that really stick out when you're looking at this bill?
1: Oh, man, there's so many. I mean, I think the top ones that like Heritage highlighted all of the woke elements of it. And we're looking at just millions of dollars going to LGBT. I mean, we've got one point two million dollars going to pride centers, uh, another one point two million going for uh, the Equity Institute or sorry, almost Almost half a million going to the Equity Institute in Rhode Island to indoctrinate teachers with anti-racism virtual labs, and I mean, you just go down the list of all these little, like Josh said, little paper cuts of two million to the Great Blacks and Wax Museum in Baltimore, almost a million to LGBT and gender nonconforming housing. I mean, this is, and that's just in one city. It's, it's just all these tiny little pinpricks. That that add up to millions and millions of dollars going to woke agenda. I mean, we're going to give uh, Jimmy President Jimmy Carter's museum is getting a seven point two five million dollar upgrade. I mean, I've driven past that thing a million times when I lived in Atlanta. It's already pretty nice. Does Jimmy really need that much? Six million dollars going to. President Ulysses S. Grant's Museum. I mean, it's just all these pin Well, pin-prinked... I might be okay with that one. Yeah, well, I know, but the guy's dead. He doesn't need $6 million
2: going <laughs> into the museum. One of the greatest the presidents of the United States. All
1: right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Greater than... and I won't go there. Okay. I, <laughs> I was going to channel Trump for a minute. Greater yes. than Lincoln. Greater <laughs> than Washington.
0: Eric, are you are you dropping trading cards?
2: NFTs? Oh, man. I didn't Eric get mine. They
1: sold out. No, not well, in my well, budget.
2: And it, well, I mean, one of the things included in this omnibus is $25 million for the Justice Department for, quote, criminal enforcement under 18 U.S.C. twenty two forty 242 which is the statute cited when pro-life Catholics are arrested in their homes.
1: Yeah, it's already been used 17 times this <sighs> year against pro-life activists with the FACE Act. And now we have another $25 million going towards pursuing more people like you, like Mark Houck. Who's angling to be our hero of the year?
0: Okay, and then one that's really sinister: we have at least five hundred seventy-five million dollars going towards family planning, and no, I'm not talking about natural family planning. Uh, I'm talking about family planning in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity directly. Yeah, growth.
1: this one gets to me. I mean, this is yeah. this is the United States again. We're exporting five hundred seventy-five million dollars, and this is. This is not population control here in America or in you know wealthy urban. This is out in Africa. This is in vulnerable countries that depend upon the United States for our generosity. And part of our generosity is we will kill your children. We will sterilize your women because you're threatening biodiversity. And this is, this is just disgusting.
0: So I hope there's an answer to this. How are we able to punish, because the people doing this omnibus bill, they're leaving. A lot of them are leaving Congress. Yeah, that's the other thing is we
1: fired them already.
0: So how could we even prevent this in the future? Like, is there a good answer to that, Josh Mercer? I hope so.
2: Well, unfortunately, it's going to take years and years of changing things because, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, conservatives and people who believe in limited government have You know, it started with, let's say, the Tea Party realizing that we have government spending out of control. Um, But these omnibus bills, I mean, like, Trump promised he would never sign one. He's like, this is disgusting. I'm never doing that. And he signed, like, was it three or four of them? I mean, it's like, so it's, you know, it's easy to talk. But when the rubber hits the road, you've got to make some tough calls. And it really requires, I think, some presidential leadership because— you know, the incentives in Congress are, are all towards spending as much money as possible because, in, and this is why, when you cut something, everyone who gets affected by that cut goes crazy mm-hmm. and they contact all their members of Congress and say, how could you cut our funding for this, you know, important institute that does this or that or whatever. And so every little int- special interest goes crazy when you cut their stuff, like, you know, you. You try cutting funding for, you know, NPR. You hate Big Bird, and they freak out, and all the, you know, moms who love watching it, and they call, and, and so senators and congressmen have got the clue. It's like, you know what? If we just pass a super bloated big spending bill, we'll have our voters go, "I hate that you do this." But how many of them actually lose reelection? Especially when they get the but check.
0: Why can't <laughs> there just? Like, oh. Why can't there just be a president that just says, "Buzz off." Who can? Who cares about the NPR moms? I don't. Maybe I should. Maybe
2: <laughs> I should run. Screw NPR. No, it'd be great. I mean, that's what th- people thought Donald Trump was going to do. That right? He's the kind of guy who doesn't care. Right. He's, he's just going to go in there and he's going to say vetoing bills. He doesn't, you know, enforce Congress to kind of amend itself. And he didn't do it. And and ultimately, I would love to be able to have another attempt at a line item veto. I think the constitutionality of that is that it was unconstitutional, was baloney. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like, make another test at that or do something else. Like, there's got to be some mechanism. And and if we require Congress, what, we're going to, Congress is going to pass a line out of veto? <laughs> Are they going to pass something that's going to restrict their own power?
0: For all the Yellowstone fans out there, we need to get John Dutton in office and then just be a rancher and cut everything. On to the next one. So Heroes and Zeros, the final showdown. Woo! Wow, it's been quite a ride. Uh, some real surprises. Uh, so, starting off with the heroes, Ron DeSantis emerges, of course. Uh, however, what some people thought might be a handy victory for the guy who kept Florida open, uh, he is running against the Hauck family, who, if you are unaware, was raided by the FBI under the FACE Act. It was complete garbage, uh, and he's still now in custody. Uh, so, Ron DeSantis is at 17,996 votes. Houck family, wait for it, 16,474. Very close to win Hero of the Year. This would be, once again, the Catholic Hero of the Year, a very prestigious award here at Catholic Vote.
1: Yeah. And I just want to point out that those, that's like almost 8,000, it's just over 7,000 votes coming in for DeSantis in the last 24 hours because- I'm sure like everyone listening, I just watch the counter throughout my work day. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's... So just 24 hours ago, he broke 10,000. So we're looking at a serious grassroots surge uh, in favor of DeSantis. So Hawk family, though, they also have a surge. I mean, it's going to be close.
0: Coming they, down to the wire. They have gators, gator bots voting for DeSantis. We were actually probably.
1: looking at that yesterday. Yeah, yeah.
0: little election integrity questions. Um, so yeah, go in, cash your vote for hero of the year, moving to zeros for the year. We got our guy, president Biden, uh, who is uh, election integrity, who knows, but, uh, mm-hmm. he has 3,649 votes, much less enthusiasm for the zeros, uh, as you can tell. And then, yeah. uh, father James Martin, who's getting smoked right now, 1,077. Yeah.
1: He's such a loser. He can't even win zero of the year. <laughs>
0: Well, we're, we're, we're thinking about sending him a participation trophy. He does win for the best <laughs> the, uh, the best thumbnail uh, clickbait of the year. Uh, if you're yes. listening to this episode, you probably clicked on it. So we His think of that. His is our friend. Yeah, but uh, not zero of the year, unfortunately. Not good enough to win that. So uh, that takes uh, us. Don't
2: get, you know, hey, he's still in the hunt, though. We'll see. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so that takes us to a much more fun part of this. We asked you what your favorite Christmas cookie of all time is. I hope you guys are listening to this while you're baking something delicious. I know that uh my my wife is a big fan of uh snowballs. Have you guys heard of snowballs?
1: I've seen snowballs. I've actually never sunk my teeth into a snowball.
0: So Odd good. it's just mm. uh it's just dough. It's pretty much just dough with a little powdered sugar on it or around a, a uh Hershey Kiss. and It's delicious.
1: <sighs> I love cookie dough.
0: Yes. So that's a good one. So we asked you and Uh, I have to say we got 334 responses and some of them are very ethnic and I would love to try them all. Uh, so I'm going to pick out some of the, I mean, I think, so if we go in popularity as of the best of all time, I'm seeing a ton of gingerbread related cookies. Uh, I think that's definitely like tailored to the season. So it makes sense. Yeah. And I do love the person that just said toll house chocolate chip cookies. Keep it simple. (laughs) People are making it way too complicated. Just go buy a roll from the, the grocery store. It's so good. You don't even have to bake it. You can just
2: eat the dough. I like the I like the sugar cookies that are, you, you dye half of it, so it's like red and white. <laughs> yeah. But it still tastes like a sugar cookie. But it looks like a candy cane, but it doesn't have the actual peppermint taste, which I I hate peppermint. <laughs> I'm, I'm with There's you like on that. It's a good combination of this. Yeah. But it's important to realize that when it comes to cookies, right, here's Josh Mercer's little secret here for you. The more beautiful the cookie, the worse it tastes. Mm -hmm. And the uglier the cookie, the better it tastes. (laughs) Like, I mean, you talk about the Hershey Kiss. There's the one, it's like a brown peanut butter kind of cookie. And then it's like the Hershey's Kiss is like, (laughs) plop right onto it, you know? It doesn't look good. It's like a certain emoji,
1: if you get what I'm saying.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. But those things are awesome. They taste great. They're
1: awesome.
2: Right. And then you... Then you get these other cookies. They're like so delicate, beautiful, well put. and like, oh, that looks that looks gorgeous. And I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole because it's going to taste terrible. I mean, I've got to get these calories and I'm going to get fatter. I want to make it worth my exactly. while Exactly.
1: Yeah. Or don't even bake the cookie. Just give me the bowl of dough. Like I will just sit there and eat dough all Christmas Day. <laughs> but I did go with gingerbread. I had to go with gingerbread man just to be seasonal. My all-time favorite cookie would have been chocolate chip but i do love a really good gingerbread uh so good chocolate with chip with cookies, cream huh? cheese i love chocolate chip man a little sea salt on top dark chocolate
2: but i mean what not for christmas though but you know what in our family we have you know six kids and and it's like what do we want if you know like i'm like oh, let's make some molasses cookies or you know no no I, I. so the only cookie it's like the consensus cookie is the chocolate chip cookie right and every once in a while, someone goes a little rogue, and they're like, "This recipe is is double. It's chocolate chocolate chip cookies." And I go, "Okay, make a batch like that, and then make a batch that doesn't have any chips in it. Just give me that. I, the chocolate, I have a problem with." <laughs> so, jo- for the record, Josh Mercer really enjoys cookies. Um,
0: yeah.
2: And so, if
1: anyone wants to send them to him,
0: yeah, feel well, we free, won't dox you. We we'll we'll won't it. dox
1: you just for the sake of a cookie,
0: but we'll take you know. it. Uh, so I got a little dude. I will.
2: Kentucky, Michigan, send me, send me your cookies or your hate mail or okay, both. Okay, he I mean, himself. Right. self doxing's fine. So
0: we're moving on from the cookies
2: into the Twilight Zone. We had another great week, no question about it. All right, Josh, do you have one? So it's just altogether not surprising, but it's still Twilight Zone, Stanford University, finding it objectionable to use the word American. And it's like, guess what? Not only am I going to continue to use the term and I'm not going to feel guilty about it, But this is only going to renew my desire to cut off funding for colleges that practice this kind of garbage. And we're seeing more and more states that are going to be pushing back at this and saying, why are we going to subsidize uh, these institutions that hate us? So let me
0: just let me just say this one's for you, Stanford. American. (laughs) Way to stick it to
1: the man. You did it.
0: I'm very comfortable with the A word. Okay. So uh, I have my Twilight Zones. I collect them throughout the week. So I have quite a few. So first one, uh, Fairfax County, Virginia. Uh, So what happens in Virginia, if you don't live there, if you do, you probably know all about this. There is a car tax. Uh, What is a car tax you ask? (laughs) If you own a car in Virginia, you get a car tax and you have to pay that car tax. And it doesn't make any sense. Uh, So that's already, that's Twilight Zone enough. Uh, So there's something going on where in Fairfax County, this is county to county, by the way. So uh, you could end the car tax, uh, but they're not ending the car tax. Uh, Even though Fairfax currently has a $200 million surplus, and not only is there a car tax and a surplus, uh, the Jeff McKay in Fairfax, he he has no plans on ending the car tax. He actually wants to use that money to build a COVID-19 memorial. Uh, So, uh, I'm going to have a theme with my Twilight Zones. Uh, COVID Memorial is on the mind these days. Uh, So, another instance in which people would like to memorialize COVID-19. So, in the omnibus bill that we talked about, um, they have included $1.5 million for the COVID-19 American History Project. Not looking forward to that. So, yeah, I think that we should just forget about that uh, and not add ways to really think about that period of time, in my humble opinion. And then finally, uh, omnibus spending on the mine as well. We have a $400 million increase that's going to the Border Patrol. As you know, the border is a complete mess. Uh, Title 42 was just reinstated uh, to basically stop a mass influx uh, from the border. Uh, So it's going to acquire, maintain, or extend border security tech and capabilities, uh, nothing about that allows them to actually deport people or transfer people. It's money basically given without the ability to use it other than on those things. But at the same time, we are spending $410 million in this bill to secure the borders of Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. Uh, for those mm. keeping track at home, that is $10 million more than we're spending on our own border in which we currently have a crisis. Uh, mm. So that one doesn't seem right to me.
1: That's twilight. Yeah. Continuing our COVID theme, uh, the headline at Fortune, uh, the Fortune magazine this year was uh, people, this is the headline, people who skipped their COVID vaccine are at higher risk of traffic accidents, according to a new study. So it's basically saying if you passed on the jab, you're going to get the jaws of life. Because you're more likely to kill yourself in a car. Now, in terms of like my poor scientific husband who's looking at this thinking what there's no, the study did not look at, you know, what I would call comorbidities, right? Like maybe just the fact that young men are way more likely to crash their cars and also way less likely to get the COVID vaccine. Maybe that is something. None of that. We don't want to get too into it. We don't, you know, that'd be, we don't want to. Uh,
0: that'd be too scientific.
2: Right. That's too scientific.
1: scientific yeah. But mm-hmm. what a headline.
2: <laughs> the reason why we shouldn't get into that is the whole point of it is it's not that this study was released because there was a genuine curiosity. like I wonder if maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe people who don't get the jab are a little bit more risk taking. Therefore, they might be a little bit more dangerous on the roads because they take risks as well. Now, that's kind of interesting. It's not done in that sense, right? There's That's not the sensibility upon which they're doing the study. They're doing it like, hey, people who don't take the jab are dangerous. And see what they do? They could kill you in a car accident. That's the manner upon which this study was, you know. I'm sorry. Yeah. Th- that was the basis. Are you for, anti-science, for this study. Josh? <laughs> So you're anti-science? No, I'm not. These researchers are. It
0: sure sounds like you're anti-science. And therefore, you actually might also be at higher risk as well because you're
2: anti-science. So, um, Well, if if the author of this study came by in my neighborhood, he might be in more trouble. (laughs) I'm just
1: going to read the conclusion from the authors as a way to kind of close this out because I think the depth of the analysis here is just mind-boggling. The authors concluded the study by saying, quote, our findings suggest that unvaccinated adults need to be careful indoors with other people and outside in surrounding traffic. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, PhD from University of whatever. Probably uh, Canada somewhere, Toronto. So that was my twilight zone.
0: Yeah. Yikes. Um, so
1: careful out there, Tom. Yeah, careful on you the and road. your risky hey, behavior.
0: Also, for those driving, we're, we're supposed to get some pretty crazy storms coming up. So I mm-hmm. we'll hope you guys are all safe if you're in the car listening to us. Uh, drive safe. Um, Hopefully, well, I'm not even going to comment on that study because it's so stupid. Please drive safe. (laughs) And that leads us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, Not not an an especially fun one to talk about, but I think these important discussions are worth having and we're glad that you joined us for them. So you can always reach out to us at our email address, loopcast at catholicvote.org. Please, if you do enjoy our work, it helps us so much. If you go to the place that you're listening on, rate us leave us a review it boosts us in the algorithm it lets us know that we're really hitting the mark on what you want to hear and we will see you guys on the next one merry christmas everyone